Thank you for worshiping in song with us. Let me just remind you, if you are here for the first time, or if you have never filled out a visitor card, or if you have information that you need to update uh, for our records, like you got a new phone number, or you changed your email address, or you moved, or something like that, please uh, fill out the bottom of the bulletin. Uh, Tear it off. It is perforated, so it's not hard to do. Tear it off. Drop it in the offering box, hand it to me or to somebody that will get it to me um, so we can update our records or have a record of your attendance with us this morning. I do want to share a few other requests for you. I normally do this at the beginning of the announcements, but um, I want to remind you to pray for Vani. We sent out a prayer request last night on the prayer chain. Uh, She passed out. Was it in the car, Barry, that she passed out? Yeah. And so Barry didn't even go home. We went straight to the hospital, um, and they took her into the emergency room, and they decided to admit her. Uh, It seems like maybe there's some gastrointestinal issues that are going on that's causing the problem, but her blood pressure also is... uh, uh, not not in the right range, so that's why they've admitted her. They're keeping her until they can get that sorted out. Uh, she did tell me last night to please thank everybody for their prayers, not just for her, but for Barry and his trip to New York City and back. Uh, that went very well. Um, so we want to continue to pray for our, our sister, Vani. We know that she would rather be here than where she is, um, and we're, we're trusting the Lord to raise her up uh, so that she can join us again very quickly. Um, also, I want to remind you, a couple of people that are traveling, or families that are traveling, Seversons are on vacation. They're uh, traveling, as are Pat and Gary, still traveling. Um, and the Monroes are also on the road today uh, and have been for a week or so. So pray for these folks as they are traveling, that God would give them a great time of, of refreshment and then bring them back um, to us safely. Uh, We also want to remind you, if you haven't looked lately or since last Sunday, the roof is finished. Uh, We're very thankful for that. It looks great over there. Um, The guy who did the roof, um, or at least the company, his name is Felix. Um, We we should be praying for Felix as well. Uh, Felix has been a couple of times to church. But uh, he's got, uh, his dad has some health issues. Um, he's battling cancer um, and has some other things going on. And Felix spends a lot of time taking care of him. Uh, so you want to pray for Felix and his dad um, that uh, Felix would establish himself here at Calvary and become a regular part of our church family. And then also for the well-being of his, his dad and for the strength. And, and um, just to, we don't know about what it, where his dad is spiritually, so pray for him along those lines as well. All right, so as you, as you think about that, write those things down. If you want me to give them to you again later on, I can do that. Um, so you can be praying for them throughout the course of the week, along with the New Testament Church in Peruville and Jody and Paisley. All right, so take your copy of the scriptures and meet me in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be camping out this morning. Uh, so... If you have your Bibles, we'd encourage you to go there with me. Uh, We've been working through the the book of Acts, uh, mostly studying the sermons, or uh, let's put it this way, good sermon material if it's not actually a sermon that was preached. Let me remind you also that sermons are not necessarily three points in a poem, okay? Um, uh, In fact, I don't always have three points. I don't. I have more than three points this morning, but that's okay. Um, So there's lots of things that are included in a sermon. And you know what? One of the things that we often overlook included in a sermon is the life that we live. 
We, we used to sing a song when we were younger and we teach, taught it to children, a sermon in shoes. Okay, uh, God help me be a sermon in shoes. So, um, and then somebody else said, uh, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Okay, so in other words, our lives should be a reflection. Our lives should be a sermon preached to those that we come in contact with and those that we meet. And we're going to see that uh, here this morning in our text in Acts chapter 16. I've entitled this message, Come Help, Please. Please, somebody come help me. Um, as Acts chapter 15 comes to a close, we see that the furlough for Paul and his missionary team is over, and it's time for the next missions trip to get underway. Now, furloughs coming to a close, it's a bittersweet time. Uh, we, we did this many times, and we would, we would, at the end of the furlough, sometimes it was pretty funny, because here we had this family of, of five who would show up at the airport in Peoria, which isn't a very big airport, okay, because um, we always left from Peoria, and we would show up with 10, now most people travel with suitcases, right? Not missionaries. Missionaries travel with like foot lockers. As long as they fit within the parameters of the airport's luggage dimensions, we usually got the biggest ones we could, okay, that fit within the parameters because we needed to take lots of stuff back because we weren't coming back to America for four years. So, you know, you can't get enough Kool-Aid and, and, and that kind of stuff in a footlocker, all right? So for, for, for a family of five, that means we got ten of these things, okay, going through the checkout or going through the baggage check-in. And then we also had all of our carry-ons, and we made sure that each one of the kids had a carry-on as big as they could carry, okay? And then, not only did you have a carry-on, but you also had a personal item. You know, we knew these rules pretty well, and we took full advantage of them, every bit of it, as much as we could. And we would, we, we would walk through the thing and have all of our stuff check, checked in, and we would often hear people say, man, did you see that one family, how much luggage they had? And we would always comment to ourselves, only if they knew what was going on. We weren't going for a week or two. We were going for four years. Okay, now yes, we were going back to a home where we already had things established in South Africa, but we took full advantage of all the stuff that we, had able, that we were able to bring back. We were taking back new tech, which wasn't very techy, but it was at the time, laptops and things like that, and, and shoes that we hoped would last for the next four years, not that one pair would last, but several sizes in advance, trying to project what the kids would wear, clothes and all kinds of stuff. You know, as Americans, we get spoiled with lots of good top-of-the-line stuff. I would take tools back. I remember take, taking back a tape measure one time. Because I was so frustrated with tape measures in South Africa. You know, the kind that you try to, to measure with and it crinkles all up and it doesn't roll back into the, the case. That's generally the kind of tape measures that we got in South Africa. So I bought this really nice tape measure. Um, it was even one for dummies because it had all the little numbers and increments in between boldly printed so you could see them. Um, so I took this back and I showed it to one of our guys who was a... He was a cabinet, he made cabinets and other things in the furniture industry. And I, and I said, Charlie, you got to look at this tape measure. Maybe Charlie's watching today. Uh, Charlie, you got to see this tape measure. And he said to me, he says, man, that's a really good tape measure. How come we don't get stuff like that in South Africa? And I said, well, because Americans demand a higher quality stuff. We don't settle for that kind of stuff. Okay, now, yes, if, if we don't necessarily want the top and the best line, then we might go and buy something someplace else. I, I've... 
I never took one to South Africa, but I've, I've started buying Milwaukee stuff because I, I, it lasts and it works really well, okay? Um, so Americans, generally speaking, don't settle for the mediocre. They want what is best. And so I would take this stuff back and I would show it to my friends in South Africa and they kind of would drool a little bit and say, boy, that's really good stuff. Yeah, it is pretty good stuff. So we, we packed our suitcases and luggage with all that kind of stuff. And then when it would go through the x-ray machine, you'd see funny looks on the guys that were looking in the back. Well, what, what is that? And, and what's that? And why would you be taking that? Because well, we're going for four years. Anyway, furlough was over for the Apostle Paul. It was now back to church planting, if you will. And that's what it was for us. Furlough was over. Church planning again was on the forefront, was in our minds and in our hearts. And we were so thankful that God gave us the opportunity to do that. Paul and Barnabas and, and Silas and Timothy and all these folks that were traveling as part of Paul's team were thankful that furlough was over and they were able to move back into that ministry that God had called them to. Now we need to note here as we get into chapter 16 that a new team has formed as far as church planning. First it was Paul and who? Barnabas, okay? Um, and now we've got an addition, we've got a new member of the team. Paul is not taking Barnabas, but Paul is taking this guy Silas that we met last week at the end of Acts chapter 15. He and Silas are going to go start a new team and start ministering and planting churches in other places. And Barnabas is going to take his nephew, John Mark, and they're going to go and plant churches in another area. You see, this team, Paul and Barnabas, split up, and oftentimes we make a big deal of that. Oh, man, they must have been mad at each other. They, they got in a fight. They got in our... Yeah, they had a bit of a disagreement, okay? But it wasn't a big deal. In fact, God used that to double the church planning endeavor. And, and as that endeavor went on, we saw over time that those guys came back together. They re, reunited as a team for God's honor and God's glory. But God had a plan. He wanted to see the, the church planning endeavor multiply, double if you will. More people involved, not just one traveling team, but two. Two teams taking two different trips, more being accomplished for the honor and the glory of the Lord. you got to remember that God is sovereign, and he burdens Silas's heart to go along with Paul and be involved in church planning. And so God is at work, even in things that we sometimes think are, are, are negative or maybe, maybe it's, it's a disadvantage. It's not. God is at work. God was already preparing the way for these two teams to go and do an amazing work that he would bless and lives would be changed for all of eternity. As we, as we get started, we see that Paul and Silas were again commissioned by the church in Antioch for this second trip. They left with the goal and the purpose of strengthening the churches. And as the trip starts out, we see this is exactly what's happening there's a significant trip in the life. This, this trip that Paul is on now is a significant trip for him as well as uh, in the life of the church, the church in general. In this chapter, we're going to meet three new people uh, that we haven't met yet in the book of Acts. We're going to see that these three individuals are, are the result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life of the Apostle Paul. And in fact, as Paul submits to the leading of the Spirit, we see again and again God opening doors. We see lives changed. We see great accomplishments for the glory of our great God. 
These individuals that we're going to meet form the framework for the chapter. And as we meet them, we're going to see that they are, like, they are people like you and I. They're very similar to who we are. Average, ordinary people. And you know what's so exciting about these average people? God used them. God called them to do ministry, to do work on his behalf, and God used them and blessed the ministry. We're going to meet a guy named Timothy who was seen as a disciple, a faithful follower of the Lord, uh, and one who was interested in becoming involved in ministry. God calls him to work with the Apostle Paul, and they go on to do great things for the cause of Christ. Lydia was a lady. In fact, she was a business lady. But you know what? She was someone who was interested in spiritual things. You know, why, you know how we know that? Because she was down by the river, and she wasn't going down there for a swim. She was going down there to pray, down by the river to pray, because that's where they had a prayer meeting, and she wanted to be part of that. The last individual that we meet is a guy, we don't even get his name in Scripture. We just know that he's the Philippian jailer, and he was just doing his job. How many of us, day after day after day, are just doing our job? But as we're doing our job, God does a work in our heart, God does a work in our lives, and God does a work in the lives of others as we submit to him and allow him to use us. So these three people form the backbone of our message this morning. And we're going to see that these people, God uses them. Uh, First, he brings them to a relationship with himself, and then he uses them in the lives of others to have a more intimate relationship with the Father. I remember one time a chapel speaker in Bible college, he, he said, um, you know, God needs his children to be serving him. He told a story one time about, and I think it was a personal story, he was, he was busy and he, was, he had just finished buying a bunch of stuff at the grocery store and, and he was on a tight schedule and he needed to catch the next bus. He lived in California or he was on a military base in California. He had to catch the next bus so he would be on time so he could get home and get things in order. And, and as he's running to the bus, um, he dropped his bags of groceries all over the road. And he said, I remember, I remember him saying that, hey, you know what? God knew that that busy child of his needed to have an encounter with a specific person. And had he caught that bus, he wouldn't have had that encounter. So unless God upset his apple cart and dumped his groceries all over the place, he would never have had that encounter with that individual. And God used him in the life of that individual to make a difference God wants to use us in the lives of people to make a difference. And the important thing is for us to be sensitive, to be listening to the work of the Spirit in our lives and to be in the Scripture so the Spirit has something to use in our lives. So as we are going about in the hustle and bustle and the busyness of day of every day, let us not get too busy for God to be able to use us where he wants us. Sometimes he needs to slow us down. I don't necessarily like to be slowed down. If I'm going ahead at a a good clip and getting things done, I want to keep doing that. I don't want to stop. But sometimes God says, no, 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 no. You need to stop. I've got something I want you to do today. And if you keep doing this at your pace, you're not going to do what I want you to do. 
So slow down and, and listen and do what God wants you to do. That's what we see in our text this morning. Paul and Silas found themselves in a very similar situation, and they're doing all the right things. They're doing what they believe God wants them to do, but they're just going ahead. They have tunnel vision. They're working ahead, and they're, they're checking the things off the list. They had their trip all planned out. They had an agenda that they wanted to accomplish on this trip, but God had something else in mind for them. God had a different agenda. And every time they tried to accomplish their plan, you know what? God put up a roadblock. God stopped them. God prevented them. He then opened a door for them to follow his plan, and they took it, and they were used by God to accomplish his will. As they submitted to God's leading, they were used by God, and they were filled with joy because of what God accomplished through them. Can I tell you this? When we're doing what God wants us to do, there is joy in our hearts. There's joy in our lives. In fact, we sing a song called, There is Joy in Serving Jesus. And, and there really is joy that, that nothing else can bring to us outside of serving our great God. So let's jump into the chapter we're going to see this morning about these three individuals. First of all, we meet Timothy the disciple in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read the first six verses. Did I put that in there, Timothy? Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, is that in there? Yep, there we go. All right, 1 through 5. All right, let's stand together and read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. You can read from the screen, and we're all reading the same version at that point. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Let's ask God to bless our time in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning thanking you for the privilege of being gathered together this morning to worship you. Father, we've already worshipped you in song. We've worshipped you by observing communion. And now we're going to worship you as we open your word together and we study and we learn from the pages of scripture. Thank you so much for giving to us your word and preserving it for us down through the ages and for giving us the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who helps us to understand the pages of Scripture as we read and study. We ask your blessing upon our time together this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we are introduced to this guy named Timothy, let me first of all tell you that he is a young man. Okay, We don't necessarily get that from the text this morning, but we do find out as we study about this man named Timothy, who he is and what he's done and how God works in his life, that he was a young man. In fact, he's the very man that Paul wrote to in the, in the, in the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And remember in those books he said to Timothy, he says, let no man despise your youth. Let no one 
look down upon you because you are a young man. Now, I often identify with this guy because his name is Timothy. Unfortunately, there was a time when I identified with, you know, let no man despise your youth, but I'm beyond that now. Um, So as we think about this, let us remember that whatever we're doing for the cause of Christ and for the work of the Lord, whether you're young or you're old, nobody should be despised. You shouldn't be despised because of it. And if somebody does look down upon you, you know what your response is? So what? I'm doing it for the cause of Christ. As long as I know what I'm doing is right and good and based upon the word of God, it doesn't matter if people look down upon you. It doesn't matter if people despise you. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, don't let it bother you. If you're doing what is right, if you're following the scriptures, don't let anyone cause you grief or heartache. Continue to be faithful. Continue to move on for the cause of Christ. This here in Acts chapter 16 is the first time we meet Timothy in the Bible. We could say that it is our first impression of Timothy. You know what people say about first impressions, right? First impressions are important. Uh, you know, if, if you make a bad first impression, sometimes it's really hard to get over that. So Timothy's first impression, what do we see in his first impression? Well, Dr. Luke is writing for us here in Acts chapter 16, and he records for us his family background, and we're going to call it his seed this morning. What is his nature? What is his background? Where does he come from? First of all, we see that his mother is a Jewish woman who, uh, who was a believer. She was a follower of Christ. She was one who loved the Lord. Um, and if we were to continue to search out this guy named Timothy, we would also find out he has an important grandma. Okay, I should probably preach this next week for Intergenerational uh, Sunday, talking about Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother, who poured into this young man's life and encouraged him to live his life based on the scriptures. And Timothy did that. And so we have this man whose mom is a believer, and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first of all in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you as well. Timothy was a believer, one who is committed to following the ways of the Lord. We also read uh, that Timothy was taught the scriptures, and most likely he was taught by his mom and his grandma. Again, another reason I identified with him, because that's who taught me the scriptures. My mom and my grandma both loved the Lord, and both served the Lord, and, and both felt and, and had a, a strong conviction based on the word of God. Um, my grandma was a lady who prayed. And uh, we were so thankful to count her as one of our prayer warriors for many of the years that we lived in South Africa. And we knew that she was praying for us, and she would tell us how much she was praying for us. And it was great comfort to know that Grandma was, was on her knees for us on our behalf. Um, Paul says here to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and that from a childhood... You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know what's so amazing about that passage of scripture? If we were to continue on, we would read in verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God will be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But you see what's there in verse 15? You have known the scriptures from a youth, from your childhood. You know what he's talking about? Those scriptures that make you wise into salvation? He's not talking about the New Testament. He's not talking about necessarily the gospel message that is brought into focus when Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he makes reconciliation for lost man. He's talking about the Old Testament that are what? Able to make you wise unto salvation. You know what we learn from that? 
The gospel is in the Old Testament. The coming of Jesus as a, as a babe born in a manger, as a babe born to a virgin, as the spotless lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That scripture, the Old Testament scripture, is able to make us wise unto salvation. Let us never forget of the importance and the significance of the Old Testament in our Bible. We've been working on calling it not necessarily the Old Testament, but calling it the Jewish scriptures because that's who it was written to. And the Jewish scriptures remind us of the coming of the Jewish Messiah whose purpose and goal was to, to make it right for mankind, to make mankind right with God. Those scriptures Timothy was taught by his mother and by his grandmother. We see here in the text that his father was a Greek. In other words, his father was a non-believer and likely the reason why Timothy was never circumcised because if it was up to his mother and his grandmother, you know what? Timothy would have been circumcised. But his father, being a non-Jew, would have none of that. Uh-uh. Not going to be happening to my boy. He's not getting that done to him. We see here in our, in our text about this young man, um, a, a, a mother who desires to instill in her child, her son, uh, a love for God's word, a desire to be obedient. I want to say to you moms out there, maybe, you got, maybe we got some single moms or we got some moms that are doing the bulk of the work of raising the kids. Not always easy, is it? It's a tough job that God has called us to. Maybe you're a mom here this morning and your husband's not saved and you struggle to be able to have that constant influence of godliness in the life of your children because your unbelieving spouse is not always supportive of that. Keep up the good work. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Stay faithful to the, the calling of God in your life. Be strong in your faith. Do your best to influence your children for godly things and in, in godly ways. We see that in the life of Timothy. He was influenced by his mom and his grandma, and he eventually went into what we would call full-time service for the cause of the Lord. Praise God for faithful moms and grandmas who put their everything into raising their kids. That's his seed. We also see his story. We might call this his testimony, if you will. Timothy is, is the first story we're going to see this morning. As we, look our, as we work our way through the text, we'll see the story of two others. But this morning, we see the story of Timothy. And every now and then, when we see the stories of others in Scripture, it's good for us to stop and think about our story. The story that we're going to look at for Timothy and Lydia and the Philippian jailer, they all have something in common. You know what it is that they have in common? They all knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can I tell you this? That's where your story really begins. If you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know him as your Savior, then your story is not going to have a good ending. We all like happy endings, right? We all want endings that are, hey, yeah, let's go, good job, yeah, happy. Nobody, nobody sits down and, and necessarily wants to read a book or listen to a story about bad things all the time with no good in the end. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your story needs to have a change. Your story needs to be one where it's intersected with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you confess and you repent and you trust the Lord as your personal Savior. 
Every now and then we need to stop and think about our own story and what does our story look like? What do you and I have as far as a story is concerned? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? And I want to read for you the words of a song, or at least some of the words. Um, it's called Rescue Story. It's a song by Zach Williams, okay? Listen to the words. It goes like this. There I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were in the shadows, holding out your hand. You met me there. You see, that's the thing about God. He meets us where we are. People aren't searching for God in general today. There are really no seekers in this world unless the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart and in their life. And then they may be seeking because they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it says, holding out your hand, you met me there. And now, where would I be without you? Where would I be, Jesus? You were the voice in the desert calling me out in the dead of night, finding my, fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. Lifted me up from the ashes, carried my soul from the death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You are my rescue story. You were writing the pages before I had a name. In other words, before eternity began, Jesus had our story all planned out, all figured out. You were writing my, the pages before I had a name, before I needed grace. Oh, singing songs of redemption, because every time I ran away, you were louder than my shame. And now, where would I be without you, Jesus? Where would I be? You are my rescue story. Oh, you never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You are my rescue story. Every person needs a rescue story. What's your rescue story? Do you have a rescue story today? If you do, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for that story. And, and I've said this, and we just need to start doing it. Um, we, should, we should reenact our Calvary stories where we hear the testimonies of how God worked in your life to bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so we would know each other's story even better. Well, here's the details of Timothy's story. We find them here in our text. We see that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. You see, even though Timothy was still a young man, his heart for the Lord was well known in that area. People knew when they talked about Timothy, oh yeah, he's that young man who loves Jesus. He's that young man who is always helpful, who is always doing this and always doing that. Can I tell you, I heard a story yesterday about one of our young men. I'm not going to embarrass him about, by sharing his name, but when I was visiting someone yesterday, they told me about the story of a young man in our church and how much he's been a blessing to them. Okay, so young people, you have that opportunity to be a blessing. Why are we doing an intergenerational Sunday? Because we want our young people, and we have a number of them, to interact with our older people. And you know what, young people? You might need to take the initiative. You might need to step out and say, hey, um, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, how are you today? And see where that conversation unfolds. Timothy was a young man like that who had a story and was willing to interact with others. The, even the older people said, hey, we know that guy, Timothy. We know that young man. He, he's faithful. He comes to church. He does this. He does that. He serves the Lord. He was well spoken of. In fact, that word spoken of, it means he was well witnessed about. 
Okay, When people talked about him, they said the truth about him, about the fact that he was a man who loved God and wanted to follow Jesus. We see that Timothy was a young man who lived out his Christianity. It wasn't just something that he talked about, but he lived it out. What a story this young man had. And you know what? His story is only going to get better and better and better as he lives for the Lord. And it leads us into his service. Timothy was a man who was serving God. Paul wanted to take him to go with them on this missionary journey. Remember, John, John Mark, the first guy who went on the, missionary, the first missionary journey, also a young man. Paul is taking these young men to get them involved in ministry. And, and then you know what? Who knows what God's going to do with them in the years to come. But instill in your young people, instill in your children a desire to serve the Lord. Get them busy serving when they're young so it becomes uh, just a regular part of their life as they get older. Serving the Lord. Young people, if you're not serving the Lord, beg your mom and dad. Nag your You know, mom and dads often nag young people, right? It's actually called instruction. It's not necessarily called nagging, but sometimes... Kids see that as nagging. Kids, nag your mom and dad about how you can serve the Lord. Kids, nag your mom and dad about going to church. Hey, we going to church this morning? No, I thought we'd do it. No, 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 no. Let's go to church. Yes, you young people can be the catalyst to get your moms and dads to be more faithful at church. So, so work as a young person, to serve the Lord. Timothy was serving the Lord, and as he served the Lord, Paul noticed it and said, hey, I want this young man to come with us. He went along as their assistant, and as the New Testament unfolds, it's clear that Timothy becomes a man who is faithful to the things of God. He served as a pastor at the church in Ephesus. He served as part of, a, of the church planning missionary team that Paul was on. He was a man who we look back and we read First and Second Timothy about church order and how God used him in great ways in helping these churches become established and faithful in serving the Lord. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, my son in the faith, my beloved son in the faith, keep being faithful, keep serving the Lord, keep doing what you're doing. Isn't it wonderful to see this young man not drift away from the faith? as happens so often with young people. You know why young people get drift, drift away? Because they're not encouraged to be faithful in the service. They don't find a place to get stuck in and serve and serve regularly. We also see in the story, uh, the part of his service is that Paul took Timothy to be circumcised. And Timothy was willing. That's where Timothy's service comes in. He wasn't like, no, 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 Paul, you, you, you're not going to do that to me. He's like, no, no, no. Okay, Paul, if you want that, if you think that's best, I will, I will willingly do that. And he went and he got circumcised, showing a willing heart and a commitment to service. Now, some might think that this was contradictory to the teaching in Jerusalem. You know, Acts chapter 16, we only require that they do this and this. No mention of circumcision. Why, Paul, would you take Timothy then and have him circumcised? Well, 
Because Paul knew who he was going to serve, going to minister to at that particular time. He knew that if he wanted to have an impact on the people in those areas, the Jewish people especially, it was important for Timothy to be circumcised. It, was, it had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. He's already established that he's a young man who is born again, who loves the Lord, who wants to serve the Lord. And part of being circumcised was simply opening doors for him down the road to be able to serve and minister to other people. We've done that before. I'll tell you this now. You might scorn me, but anyway. Um, you know, we've recently come out of this thing called COVID, right? And uh, people were like, should we get vaccined, vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? You know what? Shh, don't tell anybody. I got vaccinated. You know why? Because I knew that I couldn't go visit certain people if I wasn't. I couldn't get into hospitals. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. So, I, yeah, I rolled up my sleeve, and I got vaccinated. There's nothing in the scripture that says you shouldn't. There's nothing in the scripture that says you should. It's one of those areas that God says if you, if you should, you believe it's right for you to do it, then do it. I didn't get vaccinated because I thought it was going to stop me from getting COVID. I'll tell you that right now. I didn't get boosted because I thought it was going to help me not get COVID because I got it twice after I got vaccinated. So that didn't work. I did it because I wanted to have the opportunity to visit people and communicate Christ to them and show them that, hey, God loves you. Jesus loves you. I wanted to be able to continue op operating with them on a one-to-one -one basis. I wanted to be able to go into hospitals and other places that said, hey, if you're going to come in here, you have to be vaccinated. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I trusted the Lord for the outcome. I'm not saying that it was right or wrong for you to get or not get whatever you chose. That's between you and God. And that's what, people, that's what I would tell people when they said, hey, pastor, should we get vaccinated? That's between you and God. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God what you should do? Has he, has he given you some clear direction? That's, that, that's the best advice I can give you. I can't tell you one way or another. That's between you and God. This idea of circumcision for Timothy was between God and Timothy, and in this case, the Apostle Paul, because Timothy was going with Paul to minister. Listen to this quote from the Nelson Study Bible about Timothy being circumcised. The fact that Timothy was, was an uncircumcised Jew would have limited his effectiveness in ministering to the Jewish Christians. Salvation was not the issue here. Instead, Timothy became circumcised so that God could use him to reach all people, even the Jews, with the message of the gospel. What did Paul say? He said, I become all things to all people that I might Win some, that I might influence some to become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. That should be our motivation for anything that we do, that we might be used by God to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've said this before. The gospel is an offensive message. <laughs> How many conversations do you start off with people and say, hey, you know what, you're a sinner. That's not in, uh, what is it, Dale Carnegie's book on how to win, flens, win friends and influence people. It ain't in there, okay? That's not how you start off conversations to uh, gain friends. But that's how we start off with the gospel, right? Hey, you're a sinner. <gasps> What'd you call me? You could name a specific sin and it might not bother them that you, you, you called them that. But if you tell them they're a sinner, reminding them that the offense that they're committing before God is actually a sin, they don't like that. So our message is offensive, but if it's possible for us to knock down barriers and other offensive things, uh, let's do it. I mean, uh, many missionaries 
When, you know, when, when missionaries first went from America overseas, you know what they tried to do? They tried to Americanize people. You got to become an American. You got to become westernized in your thought and in your thinking and in your actions, whatever you do. You got to be like the American. No, you don't. <laughs> There's no Christians in the Bible that were Americans. Don't, don't let that shock you, okay? The thing is, we are individuals who first should represent Jesus Christ. So when we went to South Africa, we, we started loving rugby. I'm a boca boca. Still am. If I can watch South African rugby on TV, I watch it. I like to watch cricket. You like to watch what? Cricket. It's that boring game, you know, where they, they play it for five days. And they, one, score, one team will score 500, 600 runs in their two innings. How do you watch that? Well, because if you watch it, you get to understand the strategy in a five-day match. Or you get to watch a, a one-day match or a wicked cricket, 20, in, 20, 20 overs. It's really cool. It's really exciting. You go to the stadium and you cheer them on. We tried to become as South African as we could. That's why sometimes, just the other day, my wife said to me, you and your South African words. I don't remember what it was, but I said something that was very South African. Oh, it was going off. I guess it was last Sunday. I said, you know, make sure you get it before it goes off. In other words, before it spoils. You see, our endeavor was to become South African as much as we could. Paul's endeavor was to become like the people he was ministering to. Why? So that he could gain some. He could win some. He could influence some to come to know Jesus as their Savior. That is why Timothy got circumcised. No other reason. Here's a South African phrase for you. Timothy got circumcised so he might be able to influence others to the gospel. Finish and clar. Don't add anything else to it. That's what that means. Simply, that's what God said. All right? So Timothy is serving the Lord, and sometimes that serving made it painful. Sometimes it made it uncomfortable. So they went through these cities to, to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they were going through these cities, they were delivering the message, the decrees that were determined by the apostles and the elders in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. They were, they were telling them what they needed to do, how they could become uh, followers of Jesus and serve him well. And you know what? You get to the end of that verse there, and it says, the word strengthened them and encouraged them and God added to the church daily. Wow, praise the Lord. Same thing that was happening in Jerusalem when we read in Acts chapter 2 that God added to the church daily. The Gentile church is now growing and being added to and becoming what God wants it to be. That word strengthened there, it means they became solid. They became firm in what they believed. You and I must be firm in what we believe. Well, let's keep moving. We have in Timothy the surrendering to the will of God. Timothy also witnessed the call of God's in his life, the call to ministry. As he traveled with Paul and Silas, he saw firsthand that God does not fit into man's plan, but man must fit into God's plan. Man must change his plans to fit into God's will. We see twice that the team wanted to go into Asia. Twice the Holy Spirit did not permit them to do so. Paul's plans, he set them out before them. And he said, this team, this is what we want to do. We're going to go into Asia. Uh, no, God said no. Twice God prevented them from going into Asia. And so as Paul was sleeping, the Holy Spirit directed him to where he, the tra where he should go, where he should travel, where he should 
uh, next move into a, for a church plant ministry. And you know where that was? Not Asia. Macedonia. God called him into Macedonia. Come over and help us, please, if you would. We need you here. We need the gospel. We need the truth. We need what you have to give to us. We want you to come and share the truth with us. So Paul and his missionary team did what? Not Asia. Macedonia instead. It was important for Timothy to see how Paul and the team responded to God's will and how God didn't change his mind. He changed Paul's mind. I've told you this before. When we went to South Africa, we expected we would die or at least retire there. Um, but that didn't happen. God changed our hearts. God changed our place of ministry. God showed us that he was done with us ministering there in South Africa, and it was time for us to come back to the States and begin ministering here. Nothing wrong with that. There was no sin in that. It was simply that God had finished our work there and now had another place for us, another door that he was opening for us to go through. Timothy saw that. We had to share with our South African church family why and how we knew that was God's will. We had so many people, so many missionaries that came and left South Africa. They'd come, they'd be there for a year. Oh, no, we're not going to stay here. We're going back to America. You know how damaging, how hurtful that is for the church there, for a church plant, for a missionary to come and then, uh, we're, here, we're here long term, we're gonna, and then in six months, oh, we don't think God wants us here anymore. What did we do that God doesn't want you to stay here and serve, serve us or serve with us or minister to us? It's hard for a church plant when missionaries keep coming and going. So we had this one family that had come, and they'd been there for several years. And he came to me, and he says, Pastor Tim, he says, uh, we believe that God is leading us back to America uh, out of South Africa. And I said to him, I said, Rod, I said, can you just please share with our church family how you knew that God's leading was moving you out of South Africa? Because all, all the other missionaries, they just say, oh, we're leaving. Goodbye. See ya. Rod and his wife, they shared with the church family. We shared with the church family how we knew it was God's leading. And it was, it was easier for them to accept and understand, hey, God does move people on uh, from one place to another. And here's the thing. Verse 10 holds the key for us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's the key. They didn't look for excuses. Instead, they were obedient straight away to God's revealed will for them. They followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and were obedient to his direction. They did what God wanted them to do. They knew what God wanted them to do because the Holy Spirit led them. Does the Holy Spirit lead us today? Yes. Yes, he does. How does he do that? I'm not going to get into a big thing about it right now, but can I tell you this? As you and I read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit directs us and guides us and moves us in a direction, places a burden upon our hearts. He is the one who is the influence that directs us into certain places. Maybe you've heard my story about that. We felt in our minds that God was moving us from South Africa. I struggled with that for a while. No, God, you called us here. We can't leave. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my wife for about six months. 
I just prayed about it. God, is this me? Is there something going on in my life that needs to change? Am I wrong for this, for, for not having this feeling of wanting to stay here? Is there something I need to deal with between you and I that needs to get right? Kept praying that, kept praying that, and nothing changed. I'm not comfortable here anymore. So I eventually said to my wife, you know, I've been struggling with this, and I kind of have this thing in my heart that God is moving us on from South Africa, someplace else. We had never, never had any other desire to go anyplace else. God's moving us from South Africa. She said, you know what? I kind of been feeling the same thing for about six months. Should have said something sooner, right? <laughs> so I said to him, I said, okay, God, if that's true, if you are moving us from here to someplace else, can you show me in Scripture that that's true? The next day, I, I was reading through the Bible, chronologically, so I didn't know what was coming up necessarily the next thing. You know, I get, we're going to get there eventually, Acts chapter 20, where Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And he's like, okay, God, I don't need a two-by-four upside the head. I got it. Your word confirmed in my heart and in my mind what it is you wanted me to do. I didn't know where we were going. I just knew we were going away from South Africa because that's what God showed us in his word. His word never fails us. His word never, ever lets us down. We can have great, complete confidence in the word of God, knowing that the Holy Spirit will lead us and teach us and direct us. I mean, after all, that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do, right? I'm going to send you another teacher who will guide you into the things that I have told you. Things that Jesus spoke to us in the pages of Scripture. He's going to tell us what to do. And you say, Pastor, you're shutting your Bible. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're not going to get to the next point, okay? Uh, because the time is continuing to go on. But that's all right. We're going to pick it up next week, and we're going to see in the lives of these other people how their story centers around the very same thing. It centers around the work of the gospel message. It centers around the word of God. It centers around being obedient to the call of God in your life, doing what it is that God called you to do. And so as we think about this young man, Timothy, he surrendered to the will of God. I don't care what your name is. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your vocation is. What I do care is that you and I, as followers of God, as those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we surrender to the will of God for our lives. And the only way you're going to know that is by reading the pages of Scripture and being obedient to what God says in those pages. To follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that's coming to you from the pulpit of a Baptist church. Well, who's Baptist? They don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. Well, it's in the scriptures. So we must. And we do. And we enjoy doing it. Because it's true. And it's right for us as the children of God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. <laughs> We're talking about you changing Paul's agenda. I had an agenda set out for this morning. We would cover three different stories. Well, your agenda was only one story this morning. We'll cover the rest of them next week, should you tarry. And Lord, we ask that as we leave this place this morning, that we would be individuals who 
desire to search your scriptures, know your word, and allow your spirit to use that word to teach us, to lead us, and to direct us. Father, you are such an amazing God, and we're so thankful that there is only one God, and that God is you, and that we have a personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, bless our day, we pray. Encourage us to serve you, to be like Timothy, who is willing to surrender all so that he could serve you no matter what you no matter where you called him or what you asked him to do he didn't know what his life was going to look like how it was going to unfold as we look over his life in the pages of scripture we see that he was a young man dedicated to the scriptures which he had learned memorized taught put into practice lord help us to be the same kind of people who let your word lead our lives in jesus name we pray amen